I'm Bentley Smith. I work for CBRE. We're the largest real estate firm in the world. Uh, I'm in our capital markets division here in Minneapolis. And I'll be on the podcast today to talk to the guys about commercial property trends, uh, how the pandemic will have an impact on commercial real estate and the future of office space as we know it. So with that, let's get started, guys. Welcome to the bull, the bear, and my brother's chair. We are back again. I'm Nate Lucius, and I am joined, of course, by my brother, Bilu. Nate, Nate, thanks for having me on the show today, although I'm kind of a honorary, always consistent guest because yeah. I'm in the other brother's chair. That's right. And we've got a good guest uh, on the program today, uh, Mr. Bentley Smith from CBRE, which is the world's largest commercial real estate firm. So cool. Yeah. So Bentley will give us some insight and I think it's pretty timely in uh, the work from home, uh, the environment that we're all facing as business owners, as leaders of our respective businesses. And you know, what does office space look like? Where are the opportunities? What are companies thinking? Uh, it's just, it's something that nobody has, of course, the answer to, but I certainly believe things will change in the commercial uh, office space here as we move forward. So we're certainly looking forward to getting Bentley on and hearing uh, his insight into the commercial real estate world. I think it's interesting too, you know, a lot of things changing on companies looking at how do they use their commercial buildings. I mean, obviously we have a, a large building here and, you know, you get some other companies that have everybody in their building, everybody out of their building, or some have moved to the kind of the open space type architecture. And I saw an article the other day that places are going back to more cubicle style things. So I'll be interested to hear what Bentley has to say about the future of the commercial real estate market. Yeah. And so before we get Bentley on, we'll talk about a couple of things here. Of course, our theme is bullish and bearish. And so Bilu, why don't you start us off with either a bullish or a bearish? Uh, bullish, bull, I'm going to take a bullish one on this. And you know what I'm bullish on? What's that? The 2020 debates, assuming that Mr. Biden gets the final nod. Two reasons that I'm pretty bullish on this. And if you're a uh, meme maker or you are a someone who puts out humor on social media and that is your business, I think you're going to have a lot of a lot of opportunities here come the debates. Two reasons is one is their ability to have famous quotes. So I don't, do you have any, let's just use Joe Biden's famous quotes, for example. This yeah. is not a political choosing of sides, but just the, these it, two candidates have it, a couple things in common. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, we have our, our current commander in chief in office who we all know is fairly passionate about whatever he's <laughs> passionate about. And then uh, his, looks like the, the front runner or his opponent, uh, Mr. Biden. And they are certainly not, uh, uh, there's, there's no lack of quotes and or outrage or outbursts from the two of them. So it's, it's an exciting thing that I think will happen here as we get through the summertime. And the first thing I, I want to give two examples here, and I'll give one from each side. But the first thing is one of my favorite quotes from Mr. Biden regarding the Declaration of Independence. Let's play that one real quick. For America to back up on its feet and once again fight for the proposition that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Sounds corny. Not a joke. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. You know how we talk about it. Are we the people? Folks, endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. We've never lived up to that. We've never lived up to that. Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the words, never lived up to it. 
but we've never, ever before walked away from it. So that's one of my favorite ones there. You know, you know the thing. Right. And that, that I could, the funny part is like, I can resonate with that, getting up there, speaking in front of people. You start going down a tangent and you're like, I don't know where I'm going with this. And then that's what comes out of your mouth. Now, Trump has some equally famous ones of like, I don't understand wind. That's a good one. Yeah, I uh, I think Trump, obviously the media ones are his strongest <laughs> point uh, where he, you know, fake news and uh, doesn't appreciate the reporters. Yet he stands up in front of them, it seems like daily for an hour or two and just takes questions and yells at them. And so let's uh, let's roll that one. What do you say the Americans were scared, though? I guess nearly 200 dead. 14,000 who are sick, millions, as you witnessed, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. So that's uh, that one there is, is solid. There's 50, probably 1,000 other ones where he basically tells somebody, I'm not answering your question, you're an idiot. And, that, and that, that's, his, that's kind of his thing. That is why I'm so excited about it is they both have the ability when they get off script to go on to some tangent and get completely lost or funny things come out of their mouth. They also both have the ability to, I'll say attack people or certainly provoke people. And so you get the combination when they get in those instances and they can be one and the same. And I think we're going to have, have some epic moments of debates. Yeah. And I think regardless of what the policies that they're talking about during these debates, it's always going to revert back to the same things. Like Trump has his, yeah, he's the smartest, richest person in the world. He's done everything for the U.S. and he's going to bring the economy back again. <laughs> and then Biden's going to rip him for that. And that, that those debates, there's no moderators needed. They, they say, here you go, guys, just have at it. And they can just yell at one another. I always love to the early debates, you know, and I, again, I don't care what side it is, but they'll have 12 from any party up there. And there's always like number 11 speaker who you want your first off. The guy starts speaking. You're thinking, I've never heard of this dude in my life. And then you see that it pops up that this guy's raised like eight or $12 million. And I always think to myself, like, who gave that guy a million bucks knowing that he's not going to even make it <laughs> off the home plate? <laughs> yeah, so it, it, I'm not sure if you're, that one I think could fall in the bullish or the bearish camp, but we put <laughs> it in bullish. the bullish for entertainment uh, purposes. Entertainment value will be high at that point. What's something you're bearish on? Uh, bearish. So I'm going to go with, uh, as we've been spending more time at home, it certainly has its positives. Um, but as it drags on, there seems to be more home projects and Ugh. more things that uh, I'm either assigned to do, which is mostly, or I, I find and I think I should do that. Now, this isn't going to come as a surprise to many of you. And I think I speak for the other uh, gentleman sitting here with me today, it's too, possible. but I'll let him talk. Is I'm not the handiest guy in the world. And no. so my... My, uh, let's call it a toolbox because that's what it is. My toolbox consists of one of those $20 ones you buy at Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards. And it's got like a hammer, a wrench, uh, some other little things both, in it. Both I'm not kinds sure. of screwdrivers? It, it, does, it, has, it does have both <laughs> kinds. And that's it. Like if it can't be fixed by a toolbox, it ain't getting fixed. Do you have a drill? Uh, Absolutely. Drill? I actually have two okay. drills. Any yeah. saws of any kind? Uh, I have a saw. It's very small and it doesn't Hand really help? cut anything. Oh, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> I don't have any power tools. No, 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 no. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, first off, my kids think they're six and four. They think I can fix anything. 
Like, I'm the guy. <laughs> I can fix anything and everything as long as it involves either changing a light bulb <laughs> or... Hanging a picture? Fix it. I, I put one of their... Uh, my kids got this little, like, bike horn thing. Oh. So, literally, you unscrew it, you screw it on, and, like, that's what, man, you're what like I'm the best at. you're like Gas Monkey Garage over there. <laughs> yeah, Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> so, anyway, that's... Uh, I've got other projects, but what about you? How are, how's your uh, home, you know, home skills? My my home skills are not good. Uh, most things are, are hired out when they need to be. I can hang a picture. Uh, I can fill up bike tires. I can do, you know, quite a few things. It comes to building anything, I can't do it. I, I Again, I have no power tools, so, like, I other than a drill, right. I can't cut anything. The other day, I went to start my sprinkler system, and that involves, the reason I can start that, it involves one lever that you twist. But I do sit there and stare at the four levers every year and wonder to myself, which one is it again? And I'm deathly afraid to turn the wrong one. But you crank the thing on, it starts the water, and you hear it running, and eventually it's supposed to fill all the sprinkler lines and then stop because it's pressurized. But it seems like every spring it doesn't <laughs> stop. So then you're like, well, this isn't good. And you walk upstairs and you don't know whether water's going to be shooting out of the front of your house or like, there's a you know old faithful in the middle of your yard. But this one was just blowing right out the middle of a pipe, outside at least. But it was right out the middle of the pipe. And I literally just looked at it and thought, how does that happen and how would one even begin to fix it? <laughs> So I went back downstairs, shut the valve off, and I'm calling Dan. Dan, the sprinkler man, yeah, is going to come over and fix that on Friday. That's good. I'm useless, man. I'm bearish on them. You know, you might get assigned projects. My wife doesn't assign too many to me because she knows it's not even an option. But, yeah, it's that. I've also come to the realization over the last several weeks that my family, much like probably of yours, just has too much useless stuff in their house that they never use. Yet, every weekend I go through it, I part with like a half a garbage bag. And I, I can't part with the T-shirt that I got from some trip six right. years ago that I haven't worn in six years, or even seen in six years, but I dusted off. And Speaking of, I do want to bring something to uh, your attention. I, I guess everybody listening is, you mentioned T-shirts. We just got the very first batch of Bull Bear Chair merch. Oh, we're gonna, are we going to set up a merch store? At some point we will, and we will sell them. I feel like that's Un- our tickets. Until we can sell them, I think we got to give a few away. <laughs> so why don't we pick? They're not sold out yet. Why don't we give away for this episode five of them? All right. And how are we going to give those away? Let's give five away to the first five people that share, reshare the podcast post that I put up on either my LinkedIn or Facebook. We'll include them both. First five reshares of the post. We'll send you a t-shirt. And they have to share them from your... Share them off of mine. All right. Yep. So from Brian Lucius's LinkedIn or Facebook, Yep. you share it. If you comment, that'd be something positive would be good. But the share, we will give five away um, to the first five. First five. And you can comment, but make them positive comments about how amazing the show is, that kind of thing. <laughs> that would be excellent. So anyway, that's our, that's our ask. And the t-shirts are, they're very nice. They're very soft. They're great. I love a good soft t-shirt. Nate has a thing whenever we order company t-shirts here for whatever it is, he always says, it's not the hard boxy kind, is it? I'm like, dude, I know what kind of t-shirts we're ordering here. Well, hey, we all have t-shirts in our closet or in our drawers. They're a square. We got 11 years ago and they're like cardboard and they're literally as tall as they are wide and not what we've got. So anyway, that's... uh, 
a nice t-shirt is hard to come by. Cool. Well, let's, uh, why don't I get out of here? Let's bring Bentley on here and talk a little commercial real estate. All right. Please welcome Mr. Bentley Smith from CBRE. All right. Welcome. I'm joined here uh, by Mr. Bentley Smith. Bentley is with CBRE. Those of you not familiar with CBRE, they are the world's largest commercial real estate firm. A uh, ton of stats out there, and Bentley will talk about you know, not only his role, but but CBRE and being a large player in the commercial real estate business. And certainly as a business owner, and, and we have lots of commercial real estate here, all the things that have gone on over the last few months uh, certainly get us all thinking about what's the future of commercial real estate? Do I lease? Do I buy? Do I get more space? Do I get less space? And so I think today and having Bentley on, and we scheduled this months ago, but uh, timing-wise, I think it's pretty good to have somebody on who can shed some light on potentially the future of uh, commercial real estate. CBRE, as I mentioned, the world's largest. They did, I believe, $24 billion of revenue last year. So that uh, is a big, big number. Uh, Bentley, unfortunately, didn't do all that revenue himself, but uh, he's a, a great guy and somebody that I've known for a long time. So welcome to the show, Bentley. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nate. Looking, uh, looking forward to it. I was, I, I wish I could say I was at least a, a small piece of that uh, several billion in revenue, but we're <laughs> we're chipping away at it. That's good. Well, Bentley, as I talked about, you know, we talked a few several months ago about you coming on the show, and several months ago things were a little bit more. Uh, real estate markets great. Uh, things, stock markets up. You know, everything's on the upswing, and obviously here over the last sixty days, we've hit a point in our lives that is certainly different. And we're not on the show here today to talk about COVID, but one of the big things that obviously has impacted commercial real estate is is COVID. And you got companies like ours that traditionally aren't a lot of work from home. Uh, we have a decent amount of office space here. We're always looking at, you know, what's our next move? Do we expand? Do we buy? Do we lease? What do we do? So Bentley, why don't you start us off with kind of Think back before all this stuff started happening, the state of uh, commercial real estate, and Bentley may make some references to Minneapolis. That's where he's based. But if you could give us a flavor for where commercial real estate was at, uh, let's say three, six, nine months ago. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and I think it's smart to take a step back. I mean, we were in arguably uh, the most landlord friendly uh, real estate market that we've ever seen. Uh, it, we had surpassed levels of uh, 2006, 7, 8, right before the, the GFC. Um, it, it was truly what we call a landlord's market, meaning there was very little space out there. Uh, landlords kind of held all the cards in their negotiating uh, with tenants, and it truly was unprecedented to the point where uh, just along with you know stocks, bonds, everybody was wondering when would it kind of the – the rug be pulled out from under us because it had been really too good for too long. Um, and I know many within the real estate industry were, were candidly kind of hoping for a reset. Um, people won't go on record necessarily always saying that, but it was a little what we call frothy. Um, and I'm sure that listeners out there can relate um, when they were negotiating their leases or trying to buy buildings, there was just so much competition. Um, and really the biggest driver of that from, from an office perspective, and for those listening, uh, was really driven by tech. I mean, it's what we read about in the news. It's the stocks we see performing. 
uh, exceptionally well. Um, tech has kind of rewritten how people look at office space, and there's been really more progression in the way that people were utilizing office space up until, obviously, uh, COVID hit uh, than ever before. So, um, you know, a good example I like to use is this open concept. You know, that is a newer concept. Get rid of the hard walls. Everybody's working together in close proximity. Um, it's efficient. There's a lot of collaboration. Um, and really now is when that has kind of grinded to a halt. Um, so, you know, I, I look at it that, again, we were in the best market we could have been. And what does that mean moving forward? And what does that look like is is really kind of the the question of the the hour, so to speak. Right. No, that's, that's good. And, and I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone that as the stock market's doing well, as values of homes are going up, uh, you know, so is commercial real estate. And I'm not suggesting that we're in a, you know, a terrible panic mode, but I do think, and, and just speaking from experience, that people are rethinking right now space, uh, you know, people per square foot leasing. Do I get into a 10-year lease? Can I get a five-year? Do I buy a building? Would I rather? So I do agree with you. And obviously that's uh, something that was a very, very positive thing in terms of values and not so positive if you were leasing and you had to deal with your landlord that said, hey, rent's going up 10% this year. Do you want to stay or go? Because if you go, somebody will be right behind you to fill in your spot. So thank you for those comments. So why don't we transition a little bit? What are you seeing personally? And obviously you're in the Minneapolis market here, but you have a, a ton of resources in terms of CBRE and what you guys see. But what are you seeing today in terms of projects that were happening, more specifically, any projects that are happening, people looking, business owners, what are you seeing here in the last four weeks just from your personal experience? Yeah, I I would say it's really been a pause on all fronts. Uh, Everybody is in wait and see mode, um, as I'm sure you can relate with your business. I mean, it's kind of how you look at everything. Um, Nobody is to the point where I feel there's a ton of distress uh, from either landlords or tenants. Now, there's obviously those outliers out there that were over leveraged uh, or tenants that didn't have strong balance sheets that are feeling this pain more than others. Um, and, and so really it's a resounding pause and people are just kind of waiting and seeing. Uh, I think initially when everything kind of, you know, when the, the world stopped, everyone was assuming a, a V-shaped recovery. And I would say that, you know, in, in the stock market and other aspects, we do see that being more of a V shape. And I'd be interested to get your feedback on, you know, how you see this recovery playing out. Whereas in the real estate world, it's really more of a, what we've kind of coined as a Nike swoosh. So pretty quick down and then a kind of a slow, gradual climb back up, if that makes sense. Um, So unfortunately it's a little too early to tell, you know, where, where all this is going to shake out. I have some thoughts on it that we can get into, you know, what office space looks like in the future. Um, but it, at this point it's, it's a complete pause across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, uh, you know, I, I've, I look at my crystal ball often in my office, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but <laughs> we're, we're in the same boat as you, you know, people, the, the diff- interesting thing just from the stock perspective, and I think, you know, stock commercial real estate, economy, it kind of all correlates with obviously pockets that are different, but 
uh, you know, the way that we're looking at it is these companies are already reporting, you know, the revenues are down 30%, the revenues are down 70%. If you're an airline, you know, you're at five or 10% capacity right now. Uh, you can do the math on what they're going to report for, for revenues and ultimately for earnings. So I don't know that that is going to be the surprise. That, that surprise, I think, is already built in. People already know if your restaurant or your airline is serving 10% of customers, revenues are going to follow. So we're, we think, you know, over the next 60 days and obviously quarter two earnings will be important. But um, ultimately for us, the way we're looking at it, and I think commercial real estate, you can comment, probably similar, is when we get through the next 30, 60, 90 days, are people right back in airplanes? Are people right back in restaurants? Are they doing those things? And I don't know that I have an answer, but I think that's the hope that people are holding out. Are they right back in office buildings? And so we agree with you, and I like the Nike swoosh. That's kind of a, you know, a quick down and then a slow ride back up. I like that analogy. So uh, switching gears a little bit, if we could talk about business owners, uh, and if you were a business owner today, and you were looking at, you're in the middle of a lease agreement or a purchasing a building, what are some things that in your advice, in your opinion, if you're representing a person who's leasing or buying, what are some things they could be asking for or looking at or some advice that they could potentially use as they move forward? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and first and foremost, the, the, what I would say is, is, you know, be proactive, reach out to your landlord and, and have the conversation with them. Um, because landlords are in a position now where, you know, they want to have their ear to the ground and understand, you know, what tenants are looking for. I I would tell you just to, in my experience and what I've seen with landlords is there hasn't been a real, uh, leniency like there was maybe during the GFC where, you know, lenders were taking buildings back again, we're just so early on in this that we haven't seen any lenders, you know, pull the ripcord and say, Hey, we'll just, you know, kind of give away the farm to keep you as a tenant. Um, because we've had that request from, from a lot of national companies saying, Hey, go get us, you know, free rent, go get us, uh, reduced rent. And, And it's just really not happening. So, and I say that, you know, in the effort to, to more set expectations that unfortunately we're just not there. And I think that if the recovery happens, like you were saying, in kind of that three to five month window, um, there's going to be softening in the market, but not a ton. Um, so first and foremost, you know, be open book with your landlord that what landlords don't want is a tenant just refusing to pay rent and not giving an explanation. And it creates friction. The more you can be open book with them, the better and the better outcome you're going to have. Um, you know, what we have seen from a couple clients is let's say, you know, they're a little tight on, on funds and, and want to free up some capital for other, uh, uses is approaching your landlord, asking for maybe initial rent relief with the idea that you'll add term onto your lease. So for example, you know, give me three months of free rent in exchange for, you know, an additional three to four years of, of lease term, assuming you want to stay in the building. Right. Um, you know, that, that's how I look at it is, is to kind of be creative in your approach because they're running a business as well. And so they have to look at it just like you do, you know, what's my bottom line look like at the end of the day. Right. Um, so, you know, that would be my kind of two biggest suggestions is, is be proactive and an open book. 
um, and come up with creative solutions that that kind of work for everybody, as opposed to just a boilerplate. I'm not paying. Deal with it because right. nobody has felt the pain enough yet to to warrant them, you know, giving leverage, and it just creates friction. Yeah, and and I do like that. You know, you you hear right now the mortgage where it says, all right, yeah, there's some federal, and I'm not sure that I understand the federal. Uh, residential mortgage, but you know, I don't pay it for four months and then simply four months gets tacked onto the end of it or some variation. But your suggestion is a good one to say, hey, I like this building. I love where we're at. Uh, I like it. And I would be open to, let's say, extending my lease by a year or two, but I don't want to pay rent in June, July, and August. So I think that's that's a really good, um, that, that really is a win for both sides. They say, hey, I could lock somebody into my building for another two years. And yeah, I might have to give up three months worth of rent to do it. So I, I like that. That's a good suggestion for those people that um, are in there. And, and what I will say too, to to agree with what you said is it kind of depends on who your building owner, or your landlord is. I mean, it could be a family that has money and you know they're not cash strapped and they're open to that. Or it might be a larger firm that maybe has a little more debt to pay. And so I think just like you said, knowing who it is, knowing what you have to work with is, is a good solution and not just calling them on the last day of the month and saying, oh, by the way, I can't pay rent. Yep, exactly. I mean, that's where we see the most friction and it makes both parties kind of freeze up and not want to work together. Um, and it's the biggest frustration I hear from both sides, right. you know, from both landlords and tenants. And so if you can eliminate that friction, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where it's hard to have the conversation because you don't want to, right. but if the conversation is necessary, address it as early and, and be as, as right. communicative as you can. Um, cause you, it'll end in a much better result, right. which well, I think is again, where you're, you're seeing issues with tenants and landlords getting into, you know, legal battles. And obviously nobody wants it to, to get to that point. Right. I, I would agree. And where do you see the biggest fallout coming in? What part of the, and I know that no one knows exactly, but where do you see the biggest fallout coming? So it could be an investment opportunity down the road, or it could be, Hey, this type of real estate just probably isn't a long-term thing. Where, where do you, in your mind, where do you see that biggest pain and what, what part of the commercial real estate area? Yep. It, it's a great question. Um, I would, without a doubt, say retail. It's just been, a retail was already down to begin with. Um, and I think that retail is going to continue a, a bit of a downward spiral. CBRE, we have, you know, some of the best research in, in the world, arguably the best. And they've pegged the different asset classes, meaning multifamily, so, you know, residential, industrial, warehousing buildings, office buildings, um, and retail. And they look at kind of office industrial as maybe a one to one and a half year recovery, whereas retail is like a three year recovery. Right. And so it'll be really interesting to see what the future of retail holds. Um, arguably that's where the most opportunity is from the investment side as well, because, like I was saying with office and industrial buildings, those are still maintaining occupancy. And so there isn't going to be a, a fire sale mentality like there was, you know, back in 08, 09. However, with retail, that's the one asset class that I could see some real opportunity and sellers, you know, ultimately giving the property back to the lender. And then it's a question of from office users, is there an opportunity to repurpose those into you know, more of a, an office environment. So maybe you have, 
you know, a, a call it a 10,000 square foot retail building um, that you can purchase, you know, at a, at a discount or lease at a discount relative to what you would a, a true office building. So that's where the opportunity is going to be is, is getting creative with the asset class that's struggling the most and, and using that to a business owner's advantage. So if gradient is, you know, gr- bursting at the seams and, needs an additional 20,000 square feet, is there a retail building across the street that you could repurpose into kind of a cool creative office space? Um, that's the million dollar question. And, right. and that's where I see the opportunity personally, um, it, you know, for, for buyers and tenants alike. Yeah. And I, I 100% agree with you. And I think even today, you know, not everybody expects a business to be on the 33rd floor and I've got to go downtown. I think people are more open to, you know, creative office spaces, creative solutions. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I drove by a strip mall that's not far from our office building the other day. And there's probably, there's one or two good sized tenants in there. And then in the middle, like most, there's probably a dozen or so small businesses. You got dry cleaners and little food stores and all these things. And I, I mean, I don't know that personally, I don't know the situation there, but that's a tough one. And I think if you're, you're a landlord and you own that building, you've got two tenants that are probably paying the bills. You've probably got half of those smaller ones that aren't. And frankly, half of those that, that might not come back. So that's, that's a tough one. And I, I think the figuring out how you, and a lot of our users too, they don't need uh, office space, you know, on the 33rd floor, uh, they can do things that are more neighborhood oriented. So I, I do think that's a good idea to be creative. And if you're going to be creative, you can ask for more concessions. You can say, Hey, I need you to do this. Or can you give me free rent? Or can you build it out like this? I mean, there, there's plenty of opportunity there for the right buyer. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the, hit the nail on the head. Good. So um, what one thing here before we have some, some final comments would be, do you see, um, let's say companies, whether it's huge companies in New York or people that traditionally have lots of uh, square footage and even gradient and not that we're a huge company, but as we rethink, what do you think companies will do, specifically those in high rent districts, could be New York or Chicago or wherever, what do you think they are going to do in terms of expanding, contracting, work from home, as they look at their leases and their buildings that they own, how do you see that moving forward for larger companies? Yep. And it, it really is the million dollar question that the tenants and investors are looking at uh, equally. I mean, you look at what has been and, and really always is um, it, it, the, really the goal is attraction and, and retainment of, of talent. You know, it costs you a lot more to hire and fire people, uh, than it does to to pay your lease obligation. So you look at the tech firms that have spent millions and millions of dollars in in lease obligations and tenant improvements in you know CBD office buildings to make them the the cool creative space that is going to attract you know the um, you know highly educated workforce that that they want working for them. Um, it's a really good question, and I think it's it's really a mixture of both. So what we've seen from this is people working from home, um, you know, virtually uh, hopping on Zoom calls. And that's become, you know, hate to use that word, the new norm. Um, And I think that 
there's going to be a kind of a separation of companies that believe, hey, we don't need office space. We're working just as efficiently from with our employees working from home as we were before. So let's shrink our footprint because we just don't need that space. Uh, now, alternatively, there's going to be the group of people that look at it and say, you know, this was great, but it just, it, we weren't as productive or as collaborative as we would like to be. And we need people together in the same environment at the same time. And so, you know, what I think the coronavirus is going to add to that is what's the density of those spaces. So, you know, back in the eighties, nineties and two thousands, it was pretty much 250 square feet per person was kind of the norm. And I would tell you over the last 10 years, that shrunk significantly, probably to about 150 square feet per person. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of, okay, the people that are not able to work from home and, and the company doesn't believe in that structure, they were packing people in as densely as they could. And I'm sure everybody listening to this call has, has tried to be as efficient with their space as they can. Uh, well, moving forward, you know, maybe they'll take an additional five to 10,000 square feet as opposed to uh, continuing to shrink because they want to spread people out. Maybe there's more private offices um, just with that, you know, proximity issue that we're kind of working through. Right. So honestly, th there's, there's one camp that says there's going to be downsizing and there's another camp that says that there's going to be, you know, more demand for larger office spaces. And, and I'm kind of in the camp of somewhere in the middle is probably what's going to end up. Um, as a way to, you know, kind of balance things out. So it's really going to be, you know, what works best for your company and, and how do you feel most operational? Like I would ask you, Nate, do you prefer to have, you know, is the work from home thing working for you guys? Or is it one of those things where you guys feel like you need the collaboration and everybody under one roof to really get you know, the most out of, out of your employees. Yeah, no question. Um, and we have traditionally, you know, not been a big work from home company, uh, certain areas we have, you know, tech and others, a little more flexibility, but ultimately for us, I, I think you're right. It's, it's a little of both. And we have a, a newer building that it's actually a very old building that we got a good deal on that we're redoing right now, specifically for our technology people. But even in the last four weeks, we've changed our thoughts and our ideas about that building to be more of a, let's say a, you know, a space, not so much of, all right, let's see how many cubes we can pack in here. But if we do have a more open work environment, meaning we're not going to have as many people packed in the building and the, the collective or the group spaces that we make are more open, they're easier to access. They're, they're just, it's not a traditional 77 cubes and then a conference room. So we're looking right now at how do we make that space more inviting such that people want to be there and they want to be able to highlight their work and get together in small groups and do all that and not have your traditional, like I said, uh, you know, cube farm and then two conference rooms on the side. So I don't know that we've come to a agreement yet, but we are certainly looking at what does that look like and how do we, how do we get people to say, I want to be at the office uh, and then I want to spend some time at home, but I want to be at the office. And ultimately that's what we've tried to do is to make a space that people say, you know what, this work from home stuff is fine. And honestly, that's kind of where I'm at as I spend time at home. Like I got to get back in the office here and just, you know, get back to my normal routine. So a little of both, I would agree. Yep. And I, I think it's, it's, uh, it is somewhat segmented industry to industry as well. So maybe, 
tech is, is, you know, more suited towards working at home. Right. Whereas, you know, like a financial services, that type of industry yep. that I would consider myself in, you know, I know speaking with my colleagues and, and partners here in Minneapolis and across the country, it's like, we can't wait to get back to the office. Right. Because um, that's, that's, that's where we have. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's where you're most effective. Right. Um, and, and we've found that we can do it, but you know, so it'll be really interesting to see over the coming, you know, months, years, where we end up. And again, I think it's, it's really going to be a wash because the people that work from home are going to be replaced by larger office spaces from the people staying, you know, trying to create a cool collaborative environment like you guys have done at your building. I mean, I've, I've been in your space. You have, you know, ping pong tables and, uh, you know, pool tables and and it's a, it's a, it's an environment people want to come to. So uh, maybe there's more focus on tenant improvement allowances and, you know, what tenants can do, um, to make their space, you know, as desirable as possible. So it, it's unfortunate. It's the classic politician answer. I really don't know. It's too, <laughs> quick. It's I, I too thought, early to tell. I thought you were going to come on every, here and give us all the answers. <laughs> I, well, you have the crystal ball. If I would have been able to, <laughs> to come to the office and actually yes. see you, I probably would have been able to take it, take that and look yeah. at it and say, this is exactly what's going to happen. Right. All right. Well, we're getting, uh, getting down there. Anything else Bentley from you? Any, suggestions, words of wisdom for business owners or anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I honestly, I think we, we kind of touched on all of it and, you know, it'll be interesting to, to look back on this in a couple of years and, and see where things shook out uh, and, and what changes occurred, you know, based on not only coronavirus, but just the ever evolving, you know, world that is office space and, and how people utilize it. Yeah, I would agree. And so obviously if, if, you know, you're, couple of things that I would say is, and from what Bentley talked about is one, I like the stat of that average, you know, we get questions all the time from our advisors we work with and, you know, friends of mine, well, how much space do I need? Well, you can start with some basic, you know, is it 250 square foot? Is it 150? Yeah, you can start there and that's a good um, kind of barometer to start with. And, and obviously if you have, you know, things you need, like I said, CBRE is the biggest, uh, commercial real estate firm in the world. So even though Bentley might not be your person, I'm sure he has friends and colleagues all over the country that can, can help. And the last thing is, I think the coolest part is to be creative. I mean, if you've always been looking for that new business, that new building, a lease, a purchase, and you're like, wow, that space I think would be cool. Not sure how it would work, but now's the time to inquire. I mean, it's for sale. It's for lease. There is no question that over the next six months, landlords are going to be hungry to get people into space and i think now's the time to be creative and to say could i make this work at the end of the day you may or may not be able to but people are going to be a a lot more open to ideas and conversations than they probably were six months ago yeah couldn't agree more and again want to thank you for for having me on and um always good to, to bounce ideas off off guys like you um, you know, you're on the, the front lines with, the, you know, your company. And uh, it's always interesting to, to hear your perspective and, and others on, on this subject. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being on the show, Bentley, and uh, have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. Good talking with you. Thank you.